It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Happy Friday and welcome to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm, and we are excited that you're here to join us. It's the end of the week. Hopefully you got a good big plans for your weekend, but we're glad that she's spending some time with us today. One of the goals of this show is to talk about hard things, but also to just kind of uh, talk about, you know, how do we improve our lives as well? And obviously, as Christ followers, we believe strongly that, you know, it's a relationship with Jesus Christ. But then there's also other things, the little tweaks we can make that just kind of get our minds focused in the right way. And Ian, one of the things that I came across the other day in an article called The Business Insider was titled this. It got me really intrigued by reading this. Bill Gates, so the richest man in the world, right? Or at least in our country. Bill Gates says he's happier at 63 than he was at 25 because he does four simple things. I was like, clicking, I'm on. <laughs> because it's crazy to think that, you know, you always think the mid-20s, that's like your happiest time of life. You're going after it and this and that. And um this was on Reddit, and, and somebody asked, he said, you can ask me anything. And people asked him two questions. Are you happy? And shortly after, through it all, what makes you happy? Yeah. Uh, and so I found this fascinating uh, because he basically said, I'm happier now than I was you know, when I, in my 20s now that he's 63. And you can be like, well, that's because he's got a lot of money, but that's not why he answers it. So it's really kind of fascinating as to why he says he's happier. Yeah, and I, I appreciate, again, I don't know much about him. I know that they give uh, a lot of money away. I know that their foundation gives a lot of money away. Uh, I am sure there's all sorts of stuff, you know, having worked with him or for him that, you know, we, we don't know about. But his his response, these these four things, these four simple things, now as a 63-year-old, uh, man, it, almost sermon-like, honestly. Yes. Like, yes. Certainly, I was like, oh, come on, this guy's preaching. So um, the article, I thought, set it up well. It says, before you say, I'm not Bill Gates, I don't have the same luxuries in life, you don't right. have to be a billionaire to achieve the happiness of which he speaks. Paraphrasing, uh, paraphrasing his new revelations in life, here's how anyone can achieve that same level, and here, here's sort of his challenges. Number one, uh, follow through on your commitments. How people become smarter as they age is not so much about increasing intellectual knowledge or accumulating more wealth, it's about intentionality. It's about intentionally choosing and following through on what matters most, following mm. through on your commitments, as Gates says, which I'm for. I'm, I feel like a lot of times, like you had even mentioned, I think, off air a little bit, some of the temptation to sort of, ah, that didn't work. I'll jump to the next thing. Yep, and that yep. thing didn't work to the – which doesn't – I mean, that's not to say there isn't sometimes a reason to bail or to cut your losses – but this idea of like uh, hunkered down, that long obedience in the same direction, yes. just how do we how do we follow through on our commitments? Well, I think that's huge. So the second one he says, and this is where he puts his money where his mouth is. He says, have a mindset of giving. Yeah. Uh, he said, Jim Rohn said, only by giving are you able to receive more than you already have. Again, sounds biblical. Yeah, no kidding. Through his generous foundation, Gates has achieved this on a scale most of us reading this article can't fathom. In 2006, his close friend Warren Buffett, now the third richest person on the planet, signed papers that gave $31 billion of his fortune to fund the Gates Foundation work in fighting infectious diseases wow. and reforming education. Uh, closer to home, it says, consider giving for your own well-being. Science has confirmed that giving makes us feel happy, is good for our health, and evokes gratitude. 
One Harvest Business School report even concluded that the emotional rewards are the greatest when our generosity is connected to others, like contributing to a cancer-stricken friend's Go fund me page. Can I just say that the Bible sometimes is true, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like no this kidding. is straight out of the gospels. Jesus talks about this with contentment, with giving. Yeah. Uh, so it's interesting to see someone I don't believe is a believer like Bill Gates kind of basically saying he found, he's found it to be true. Well, number three is right in that same vein, man. Treat your body like a sacred temple. Gates said that exercise leads to happiness. I don't know that I buy that entirely, but uh, he is an avid tennis player. According to research, he's dead on. Exercise has been shown to improve your mood and decrease feelings of depression, anxiety, and stress. Conversely, if you cringe at the thought of having to fight for a treadmill at a crowded and sweaty gym, your mood can benefit from a simple exercise no matter the intensity or length of it. One study of 24 women diagnosed with depression showed that exercise of any intensity has significantly decreased feelings of depression. In fact, it reduced depressed mood 10 and 30 minutes following the physical activity. That's fantastic. Absolutely. Number four. Going to be biblical again. Put family first. As he suggested, Gates' priorities shifted to be, more fo- to be more focused on family life and the special feeling of seeing his children excel in life. The choice not to place family life on equal par with or even ahead of career priorities can be costly. Scientific analysis of the causes that lead to death in the workplace listed, among other things, long hours and overtime and work-family conflict as common sources of workplace stress destroying the health of U.S. workers. If work-life balance is a struggle of guilt because you think your business or career will suffer, suffer, the solution is simple. Set non-negotiable boundaries around your family priorities first and then use the same rigor to place strict boundaries at work. Having solid lines around each area of life will ultimately make you more focused, efficient, and effective at work, and your kids will love that daddy or mommy comes home on time to watch a ballet recital yeah. or a little league game. Yeah, no kidding. That's good stuff, man. I think what's fascinating here about Bill Gates is like this isn't out of Christianity to today. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, this right. isn't from uh, businessinsider.com. Yeah, like he wasn't speaking to a church audience, but man, all four of those are are pretty deeply biblical. Yeah. Yeah, here, here they are again in case you missed them. Follow through on your commitments. Have a mindset of giving. Treat your body like a sacred temple and put family first. Which one of those do you find the hardest? Oh, jeez. Probably the the body one. Yeah, I think it's uh, you know not just in fitness, but in diet and sleep. Sleep's the first thing to go for me. If if I'm hitting a bunch of deadlines, I'm like, well, guess I'm sleeping four hours. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of easy too with a newborn at home. I'm like, I'm not I'm not sleeping anyway. I might as well stay up and work. Yeah, which you know all the blue light from the laptop. There's a lot of evidence to suggest that's not a good way to do it. And and you know working right up until I go to sleep yep. or try to go to sleep is also not healthy. So I I think I probably. I probably struggle with that one the most. It's funny. I was gonna. I was gonna choose the same one. Really? Just, yep. Especially as you get older, like you're just like, man, you know, it takes such thought and intentionality to be like, I'm going to take care of my body. And it's interesting that he's now in his 60s, going like, that's, you know, all the scientific studies say that you know things get released in our body when we exercise that that make us you know happier and right. more you know and feeling better about ourselves. And I believe all those things, but so often I don't do anything. Like yeah. I just overwork myself, you know, run, 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 run. And then like you said. Not actual running though. No. <laughs> Good. And then like you said, you start sneaking like some work. Like, oh, you know, the kids went to bed. I, I've got a little bit of time. Now. I'm yes. just going to bust open the laptop and go. I'm so bad at that. Or like, hey, instead of like doing something productive, like oh, I'm just going to lay here on the couch and watch television, which is a fine thing. But when that's your only way of disconnecting sometimes, it's uh, it's it's a little... Uh, 
It, it doesn't go all the way. Let's put it that way. When I find it hard, I mean, not not that we're having like therapy hour here right now, but there there is something to be said. Like when I was in my teens and twenties, like it was uh, it was a street hockey game happening over here and a pickup game of soccer over there, and True. like hey, we're all going to go to this thing, and then we're all going to go for a walk or a run or a hike. Like that, it just seemed like in general, my social circles were doing these things anyway, and so being point. active felt really. Um, it just was easy. It was the stream that you're swimming in. And my brother, who's a, a really, really brilliant chiropractor in Detroit, he talks about even just 30 minutes. He said, if you could just not be sitting or lying down for 30 minutes of your 24-hour day, the, the impact, the benefits are through the roof. He said, wow. we spend all day either sitting or lying down. He said, what if you did that for only 23 and a half hours a day <laughs> and took 30 minutes to just do anything else? I thought, man, that's a, that's a really good call to action. That's fascinating. So hopefully that those words from a... Uh, someone that, as far as I know, is not a believer. I mean, Bill Gates, not not Ian. <laughs> Hopefully those words <laughs> Thanks, man. from someone. And you probably were sitting there thinking when you first heard it, well, Bill Gates, of course he's happy. He has all the money in the world. But notice he none of those said, I'm happier now because I can buy whatever I want. Yeah, like he right. said, I want to give stuff away. I want to love my family. All of which have, have gospel in them, which I just find fascinating. Well, we're off and running here on a Friday. Coming up next, we're going to talk about uh, Peter Enns and, and some of his views of the Bible that you and I both find fascinating, whether we agree with them or not, because they can be somewhat controversial. That's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined as always by Ian Simpkins. You can text us at 68683. Uh, Just put in CG for Common Good and then your comment. We would love to hear back from you about any uh, topics that we're discussing or anything else you want to talk about. You can uh, also find not any, anything. Anything? Do we want to? That's a pretty wide invitation. It's the weekend, man. We're ready. We're ready. <laughs> Fair enough. Facebook, you can find us at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. You can also find old uh, shows at 1160hope.com or wherever it is that you podcast. I love that you call them old shows. Like way back way to back. January. Do you know like Monday, I think, or Sunday is three months from Isn't us. that crazy? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's, is that something you celebrate? Yes, yeah, we go like on a date or something? Or I'll just have to... people call in for you. <laughs> <laughs> like we did on your birthday. God. <laughs> we'll just keep going. Do you know, I, I was listening to a podcast and the guy, this guy was joking, but it was really funny because I'm sure some people don't joke like this. He said, uh, he said he he asked his people to subscribe to rate his podcast and then unsubscribe, subscribe again and rate it again. No, because <laughs> every time someone subscribes, you get a subscriber, so you can just keep doing no, it. Oh, that works. Apparently so. That's so like the, uh, Ferris Bueller putting the car in reverse to try to <laughs> yes. try to get the miles off. <laughs> so he was so funny. It, it was this type of guy where he was like probably wanting them to do it, but he was kind of just kind of mocking the system. So he goes, <laughs> "I want you to subscribe." Give us five stars, write a review, then unsubscribe. Give us another five stars. <laughs> wow. That guy sounds needy. I, uh, yeah. It's my guy. <laughs> <laughs> you said it, man, not me. It's my guy. Well, hey, uh, you and I are both pastors. We say this all the time. I'm at Four Corners Community Church in Darien. You're at uh, Community Christian Church in Naperville. And so one of the things you and I went to school for and we believe in deeply, I'm going to presume this upon you, is the Bible. Uh, we we have kind of banked our life on the truth of the Bible. We preach the Bible, and uh, we believe very strongly. At our church, we talk about one of our values being bold in truth, that we want to believe it boldly. We want to talk about it boldly. Can I disagree with that statement already? Would that sure. be a wrench in this segment? Probably, but go ahead. I haven't banked my life on the Bible. I've, I've banked my life on Jesus. I just I, I, I couldn't let that one go. Just to be clear. So guilty. <laughs> All right, Andy Stanley. 
Uh, Unhitch the old testament. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. What you said is completely true, but I think you understand what I mean. Uh, so there's a guy, and you and I, we, we joked about, do we ever do we even want to go down this road? Because there's a guy who's fascinating that if you want to read him, his name is Pete, uh, Peter Enns. Yes. E-N-N-S. And he writes a lot about the Bible, uh, and he's a devoted Christian and this and that, but, but he really challenges a lot of our perceptions of the Bible. Uh, and if you honestly, folks, if you read his books, uh, you will be really challenged yeah. and to go. I don't feel like I should believe what he's saying, but he's making a good argument about <laughs> I'd this, recommend right? too the Bible tells me so or the sin of certainty. Those are two good places to start. Yeah, with and so uh, if if you want to be challenged and to think about what is the Bible, Peter ends is a great way to go. And you can go to his website, Pete dot com. Uh, and with that in mind, we found uh, an article he wrote, and it's titled this, The Bible's True Purpose is to Make You Feel Good About Yourself, and then parenthetically, joke. <laughs> it says joke. He says, from where I stand, the Bible's true purpose is more than supplying spiritual information to be downloaded. It holds out for us an invitation to join an ancient, well-traveled, and sacred quest to know God, the world we live in, and our place in it, not abstractly, but intimately and experientially. He says, I'm not suggesting that the Bible doesn't provide us with any information to enlighten and inspire us or any answers to help mark our path. It does. I only mean that it also provides us with another kind of information too often brushed aside that shows us that providing information and giving answers is not the Bible's true purpose. Thoughts? (laughs) I can just weigh in on that. (laughs) I'm going to read that and then turn to you and say thoughts. Thoughts. I, I mean... I'm going to show some of my cards, and I don't. I mean, I don't think ends is right on everything. Agreed. Um, but I, I think his his uh, his venture to help us think more deeply about what the Bible actually is, uh, because I think so often, at least in my experience, we end up. I see a lot of Christians arguing verses back and forth to each yep. other, yep. and uh, while that sometimes maybe can be helpful, I often wonder. Okay, are we even talking about the same thing? Like when someone like this is maybe uh, nitpicky, but people call the Bible a book. You're like, it's actually a collection of books. Yep. It's got a whole lot of uh, different styles and um, different approaches, and what you're reading at different times are literally different things. So, for, so to just call it a book, uh, I think can be misleading. One of the things that we we'll often say is that the Bible was written for us, but was not written to us. Yeah. I think that's really important. This idea of like eavesdropping on an ancient conversation of people uh, discovering their role in the cosmos and God's part in all of that. And how, how do we live as a people of God? I don't believe that it's a, it's an instruction manual. Mm-hmm. I think that that way of approaching the Bible, I don't think it was ever intended. I mean, even in terms of, you've probably experienced this where someone will quote a proverb and say, see, I'm guaranteed that You're like, yep. that's actually not what a proverb is. Right. It's kind of a way of saying, Hey, this is how life tends to work. But not always. Yes. So when we claim certain things, like, well, it says it right there. How could it not be true? I think um, how we even define, like, something being true um, is really dangerous because Jesus is often telling stories that by, like, Western post-enlightenment standards, we say, well, that story didn't actually happen, so that's not true. I, I would disagree. I think that what he said actually is true, even though it's a story that he made up for teaching purposes. So, you know, taking all that into consideration when trying to wrestle and grapple with um, is really, really critical when it comes to Scripture reading. Absolutely. And you, you hit it with, uh, and says here, he says, the Bible, it seems to me, was never intended to work as a step-by-step instruction manual. I remember uh, leaving home and going to Wheaton College. So, you know, one of the big Christian schools in the country, firmly evangelical, uh, firmly believing in the Bible. I was a Bible major. 
And a lot of my thoughts about the Bible not only got shaped at Wheaton, but really got challenged at Wheaton. Yeah, I believe that. And I remember feeling like, wow, I thought I was going to come here and it was all just going to be, you know, everything that like I learned in Sunday school or this and that growing up. But they were like, you know, you start taking classes like biblical criticism. Uh, you start taking, you start having teachers talk to you about genre and the different ways, like you just said, a proverb versus a story versus wisdom literature right, versus right. history versus a letter, uh, and that you've got to use your brain when, when reading the Bible. Uh, but what that does is it helps us not end up in the places where throughout history the Bible has been used to uh, to both promote and abolish slavery or promote and abolish racism or promote people have used the Bible as a weapon. And the Bible is best used as a weapon when you don't do the work to understand how it is written uh, and that it's got some nuance and you've got to study and you got to do the work. Yeah. Well, I think William Sloan Coffin put it brilliantly. He said, it's a mistake to use the Bible to end a conversation. The Bible intends to start one. Mm. And I think I think it might have actually been ends in one of his books. He says, the Bible doesn't say, look at me. It says, look through me. Seeing the Bible as mm. a lens by which we see the world, which is something that you've kind of in a yep. number of different ways said throughout the last few months. Yep. Um, I think so often, you know, we, we will, we read the Bible through the lens of America. Maybe it'd be better for us to read America that's through really the lens good. of the Bible. And that's, yeah. that's easier said than done, right? That can sound quippy in the moment, but how do I actually order my life? It's and he kind of in this blog, and I encourage you to check it out. He's juxtaposing rule book versus wisdom, yeah. And uh, I think ba- based on how you approach scripture, that leads to two very different conclusions. Listen to this quote. I, I read it to you before, but on Sky Jethany, uh, Sky Jethany, uh, the podcast that he hosts, I think what's it called the Holy Post, uh, he had on John Walton, and I've told you I want to have John Walton on the show. He is phenomenal, like preeminent Bible scholar. But I actually know him pretty well from back in my days at Glenelg Bible Church. And when you, it's it's awesome to get to know a Bible scholar, and then you also get to know them as people who love the Bible. Yeah, like they're not like trying to tear the Bible down; they're trying to build it up, and they're trying to help you understand it. Walton said this on the podcast. He said, "The Bible is not trying to give me action points for the week; it's trying to give me belief points for life." Oh, that's good. And I read that, and I was like, "Yes." Absolutely, Jathania responded to Dr. Walton. He said, Dr. Walton, that's why you don't have a megachurch. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think there are definitely megachurches that would agree with that sentiment, though. Absolutely. Not to absolutely. defend all megachurches, but I, yeah. Uh, it was probably a cheap shot. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think as Christians who hold tightly to the Bible and who are going to hopefully, like you said, use it as a lens for it, so we got to do the work to understand it and not just throw, well, this verse says that, rip it out of context, post it on Facebook, and all of a sudden— you know, God wants what's best for us. How do we get to the prosperity gospel that we railed against yesterday? That's right. That's, that's how right. we get there. So we want to be Bible people, but but who handle it, who handle it well. Well, coming up next, we are going to talk to a man by the name of Carl Vaders. We are excited to do that. That's what's coming next on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. Uh, my name is Brian Fromm, and uh, Ian, one of the benefits we have on the, having a radio show is every now and then we talk about articles and this and that, but then we can reach out to the authors of the articles and be like, man, we want to hear more about this. And so you might remember last week we talked about an article out of Christianity Today uh, titled Four Questions to Consider Before Commenting on a Controversial Subject. Uh, and you and I were both really interested in this and uh, written by a guy by the name of a pastor by the name of Carl Vaders. Uh, and Carl is kind enough to join us right now. So, Carl, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, you're welcome. Good to be with you today. Great. Well, Carl is the teaching pastor of Cornerstone Christian Fellowship Church uh, in Fountain Valley, California. Also writes regularly at Christianity Today and blogs 
a new small church. He's also the author of The Grasshopper Myth, which tells about the examples and struggles of small churches uh, and their leaders. And as I was saying, Carl, we were really interested in this article that you wrote. uh, And this might be the just the overarching age old question is this. Why do you think everybody feels the need to comment on everything (laughs) in this culture that we live in right now? Oh, man, I wish I had an answer. <laughs> so do we. <laughs> I, 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 the, the quickest answer I can come up with is because we can. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. With social media, we couldn't before. And I think everybody used to watch TV, listen to the radio and wonder, boy, what would it be like to do that? And now we don't have to wonder. Now we don't need anybody's permission. We can. So we do. Hmm. So I'm curious then, and you don't have to answer this. <laughs> How's that for a setup? I'm curious if this particular blog, if they're just joining us, the blog was called Four Questions to Consider Before Commenting on a Controversial Subject. Was that birthed out of a specific situation that you observed? Like you saw this happen online somewhere and you're like, okay, I, this has to stop. I have to write something. Or did you? is it just a trend that you saw? Like what was the impetus behind writing something like this practical and this specific? Yeah, it's just the constant drumbeat mm. of it where people are just not uh, commenting with even some basic common sense, let alone wisdom. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, number The number two one that you put, I was really interested in, you, you wrote, do I have an expertise in this field? That that's a question that we should ask ourselves before commenting. And you wrote, just because you can comment doesn't mean you should comment, which I think is a line all of us should write on our computers. <laughs> and uh, and you said, before I decide to offer an opinion, I always ask this question, do I actually have an expertise in this area or am I just riled up about it? Uh, I'm, I'm curious, personally, what kind of level of expertise do you feel like you need to have before you weigh in on something? Well, I don't think it needs to be high. You don't need a PhD in in, you know, uh, Marvel comics to be able to comment on whether or not you like the latest movie. Uh, uh, but I think, you know, speaking out of ignorance, it just doesn't make any sense. Because because of the position I hold as a pastor and a writer, every once in a while I'll have somebody who asks me, you know, what do you think is going to happen with such and such? And I'm very comfortable with saying, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But they're seldom comfortable with hearing it, so I'll get, well, I'm not asking what you know, I'm asking what you think. Yeah, right. You know, what do you think about it? What do you feel about it? And I'm going, I don't think anything about it, because I don't know enough about it. <laughs> yeah, about it. I'm writing all of this advice down, by the way. <laughs> I remember the first time I told someone in our church, they had like, this really big, robust theological question, and they had this, like, they, it took them six minutes to ask it, and then they were done asking it, and I just said, you know what, I don't know. And they were so <laughs> mad that I didn't have this answer, and yeah. I, I'm curious, so you wrote this book called The Grasshopper Myth, which talks about some of the examples and struggles of small churches. I'm wondering, one, what's the book about a little bit? And two, do you see a correlation between what you wrote about here and some of the struggles of small churches? Like, is there a thread between these two topics that uh, has motivated you to write about them? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, the book is partially tells my story of struggling with uh, in a small church, you know, here in Orange County, California, with a bunch of mega churches mm. around thinking, well, ours is going to become the next one. We're on a main street in a massively populated area, and yet it didn't come about. Uh, And so what I discovered was I'm actually really good at being a pastor of a small church, and I'm not really good at being the pastor of a big church. Mm. So let's put together what it means to be a good pastor of uh, of a small church. So Grasshopper Myth is the start of my story. My, My newest book, Small Church Essentials, is some practical tools about that. 
But what happened was I, 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 I don't comment on big church stuff or on church growth stuff because I'm not an expert on that. Mm. I tried to do it and I failed. But I looked around and said, but what am I doing well? And what I am doing well is pastoring a really healthy, dynamic, small church that punches way above our weight. So that's what I'm going to write about. I love that. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, what influence, so going back to your thoughts about this kind of culture of commenting on everything that we find online, Facebook and Twitter and everything, uh, what um, what is what are the results within the church that you're seeing right now? What do you think, if we don't do this well as brothers and sisters in Christ, what is the effect within the church? I think, I mean, it's bad enough that we've got brothers and sisters in Christ at each other over what are really trivial issues, you know, I wish we were fighting about important theological things as much as we think we are. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, right. Most of of the time it's over trivia. But quite frankly, that is a secondary problem to the primary problem, which is the testimony that we have to non-believers. I mean, the Bible is really clear, by this we'll all know that you are my disciples. Mm -hmm. Not that you have your theology right, but that you love one another. Mm-hmm. When we are not presenting united front, and and actually, we don't even need to be overly united. If we, if, if non-believers can see Christians disagreeing with each other, but doing so in love and with civility, I believe that is very attractive. Totally. We don't have to have single mind speak. We can disagree. But if they can look at it and go, hey, you know what? They are disagreeing over things that really matter. They're having a civil discussion about it. That's the kind of community I want to be in. That's so good. So it's like the difference between unity and uniformity, right? Mm. Like uniformity, everyone looks, talks, acts, believes exactly the same thing. Unity is this, like, rich, diverse, like, yeah, we don't all come to the exact same conclusion, and yet I can still worship alongside that person and call them a brother or call them a sister, which I think is such an important, timely call. And the blog, the article that we're referencing here, it's now like three weeks old, and I'm wondering, since you've published it, is there anything that you would add? Or when you read it now, because I, I feel like I'm always wrestling through it, like a sermon from last week, and like, oh, man, I wish I would have included this. Oh, I wish I would have said that. Like, looking back now, just a few weeks, is there anything else that you would add to this list of four questions to consider? Um, nothing yet, because I really have used those four questions as a template for quite some time now. Hmm. I waited. I kind of waited around until is something going to be added and nothing else did. They seem to kind of satisfy it. So, you know, check in in a year from now. I might be smarter, but today I'm as dumb as I was three weeks ago. I'll I'll take you up on that for sure. There you go. (laughs) One last question for me in uh, kind of going back to what you said your book was about, if you'd let me go that direction. Uh, Out here in the Chicagoland, you know, lots of mega churches, lots of stuff in the news. Uh, could you give some encouragement maybe to a pastor out there who's who kind of I totally get the whole vibe of like I'm in I'm supposed to have a big church, but I'm in a small church and I must be failing. Um, and you seem to have devoted your life to kind of speaking about the small church. Uh, could you give some encouragement to the pastor or a leader in a church out there who's listening, who's in that small church and just tell them they're doing a good job? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is something I, I've discovered the hard way a few years ago myself. Uh, but let me phrase it this way. Uh, pastoring a small church is not a penalty for doing something wrong. Mm. That's how far too many pastors feel like, what am I doing wrong? How yeah. have I screwed up? Where did I fail God some way? Pastoring a small church is not a penalty. It's a specialty. And because it's a specialty, it's worth doing well. Mm. 
So if we can just change our mindset and stop looking at what am I doing wrong and start saying, well, here's why I am, at least for now, here's where God has placed me, at least for now. And while I'm here, I'm going to do it as well as I can. If I'm in a small church, it's going to be the best small church you've ever saw. I love it. Oh, that's really helpful. That is good. Well, Carl, we're really grateful for you joining us uh, to talk about your article and some other stuff. Again, Carl Vaders is the teaching pastor of Cornerstone Christian Fellowship Church in Fountain Valley, California. You can find a bunch of his articles at Christianity Today. He blogs on New Small Church. Uh, You can find him on Twitter and all other places. Carl, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Great to be with you. Absolutely. Well, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined as always with Ian Simpkins. Happy Friday out there today. You can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. You can also text us at 68683. That's 68683. Put CG in the comment uh, and then tell us whatever it is, whatever feedback you have for us. You can also find past shows. See, I said past shows this time, not old shows, past shows. At 1160 You can't can't find future shows. No, you cannot. That'd be awesome. (laughs) We would have such a following. That would be terrifying. We'd have such a following. Here's what we said next week. What? (laughs) Wait till you hear what happens (laughs) next week. (laughs) Uh, You can find past shows at 1160hope.com. If that were like our thing, like that was our niche, everyone else talks about the past. We talk about the future. It's like a minority report (laughs) themed Christian radio talk show. Minority Report. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. Uh, yeah, you can find old shows wherever it is that you podcast. It's Friday. I feel like we're off. We're off the rails already. Uh, we. I feel like we make that excuse for most days, though. Yeah, but one of those days is Friday. <laughs> Touche, from. So Christianity Today uh, had a great article, a long article that I'd encourage you to find uh, in their March issue or their website titled "This: When Moral Boundaries Become Incubators." For sin, And I read that and I was like, oh, that's really interesting because we often think that the key to avoiding sin in our lives is to put up walls and boundaries, to put up right. moral boundaries. We always say that, right? We put up boundaries and that as long as we stick to our boundaries and our rules, that we're going to be able to uh, avoid sin. So let me read the just the closing paragraph, which I find fascinating here, that is really challenging to that mindset that if we just have enough boundaries and walls that we're safe, we're going to incubate ourselves. The author, Amy Simpson, writes this. She says, self-satisfied dependency on rigid boundaries will isolate us from one another. It can lull us into a false belief that we can relax our spiritual fight. They tempt us to congratulate ourselves on our appearance of righteousness while weeds grow in unintended gardens. By all means, we must draw boundaries where they will help us. But it's dangerous to imagine they will reform us, protect us from moral decay, or eradicate the true source of sin. We can't let down our guard. Sin begins in our own hearts and minds, and the most effective protections are the ministry of the Holy Spirit and equal open relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ. Hmm. Was that to me? Yes. Is that my turn? I left you a spot. (laughs) I feel like this is where this is going. You read something and then just turn to me and say... Thoughts. Now you talk, Ian. Yep. That's, yep. I'll read the thing. <laughs> now you come up with a response. Yep. Uh, okay, so I have a, a couple of thoughts. One, I think this is why so often the Pharisees get a, a bum rap, but I really think their motivation to purity was let's just set up as many fences and as many walls as possible mm. so that we don't even get close to touching this thing that God said not That's to good. touch. So like these additional 600 plus laws and rules, 
I think for us in our context, it's easy to sort of point a finger and laugh at. But I'm like, ah, oh, these were guys so committed yeah. to to remaining pure, to taking God at His word. And again, maybe I'm giving them too much credit, but like, all right, we're going to build a fence around this fence, around that fence, so that we don't even get close to touching yes. the thing or doing the thing that's in the middle there. Uh, which is why I think they get a bum rap. But I, you know, I think I understand that sentiment. To be yeah. honest, who the, was that sect of religious? Who was it that where they were known for always keeping their heads down because they they wouldn't didn't want to look a woman in the eye, hmm. and they were known as like the people with bruised legs or something because they always ran into things. Oh, and you really? Start, you read about it and you're like, that's the most ridiculous thing. But it's exactly what you're saying. They're saying, well, I'm not supposed to do this. So the way to avoid this is right. to is to also avoid this and also avoid this, and it just kind of gets a little absurd. Well, and I and I think that the point, just to be clear, we're not at least I'm not saying don't have boundaries. Correct. Like I think boundaries are absolutely necessary. And you, we were both youth pastors. Like yep. I feel like we spent half of our time talking about <clears throat> decide now what your boundaries yes. are, not when you know you're at the end of a date and you're in the back of the car. Like yep. make those decisions early. I'm I'm pro boundaries. Have those decide on them, pray on them, yep. seek accountability. I'm into I, I'm into all of that. But there's a, a paragraph here that I found fascinating it says when we lean into boundaries relying on them to keep us safe we may be tempted to relax our vigilance over the true source of danger and like rabbits in a garden the sins of our hearts and the sins of our minds will devour the fruit of ministry when we're not looking yeah so this idea that like hey i set up these safeguards i'm good and and what they're kind of i think asserting is that when we do that when we assume why well, I, I can relax mm. uh the work of putting sin to death in my life or being diligent or vigilant because I have I have a nanny cam on my email, and I have pr- protections on my web browsers, and I have rules about who I do and don't talk to, and open door policies, yeah. and all these. Because those are all there, that's the source of my protection, and I think uh, that can lull us into a certain level of laziness because we we rely on the structures, yep. which we do in a lot of ways of life. And I think the whole point of it is don't don't rely on the structures on the structures. Don't give up vigilance yep. in the ways that we need to. That's good. I like that. Because in the Bible, whenever it talks about avoiding sin, it's always very active, right? Like remove the sin from your life. Yeah, right. Get rid of, cut it out. Get right. rid of the sin. Uh, and, and having these boundaries can in some way, like you said, lull you into a sense of, um, yeah, like just a sense of secure, a false sense of security that says, well, now I won't sin, like you said, because... Right. I can't do X, Y, or Z, but it doesn't get to the root issue. We often use the phrase, is it root or is it fruit? We we cut out the fruit stuff, and, and instead the root issue of sin is still there, and we're to be vigilant about trying to, or, as you said, eradicate it and, and work it. I like how she ends by saying uh, sin begins in our own hearts and the most effective protection. So that becomes the question. We're not anti-boundary. We, you need to have boundaries in your life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I don't think you need to necessarily take on other people's boundaries. Like what works for you uh those are the boundaries you need to have. But the, she does say, but the most, but then she does give the answer. Most effective protections are the ministry of the Holy Spirit and equal open relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think that's the huge one. Like your, your best bet day to day to eradicating sin in your life is uh, an openness with other brothers and sisters in Christ who are going to help you see the sin in your life uh, and help you, uh, help you get it out of your, help get rid of it. One of the things that we mentioned on Sunday, too, I was briefly talking about uh, the fruit of the Spirit, and that wasn't the the main point, but we spent a little bit of time there. And I was sharing that I had a, a mentor years ago that said, uh, he you know had the list of the fruit of the Spirit on the screen, and he said, you can't grow in any of these in a vacuum. Mm. So, so be careful what you pray for, because if you want to grow in kindness, 
Uh, God's probably going to put some people in your life that are hard to be kind to. Oh, wow. And in the same way, it's saying when all we do is just buff ourselves from any environment where we could possibly sin, which was so often the motivation behind the yep. Pharisees and the Sadducees was this, we'll just stay as far away from the thing as possible. Jesus says, right when they're rebuking him for gathering food on the Sabbath, he says, you, you are subscribing to the letter of law and you've missed the spirit of the law. Mm. And he says the spirit of the law is what's important. Yeah. Was Sabbath made for the man or man for Sabbath? And this idea that, oh, man, as long as I have parameters in place, I'm good. And this writer links it to what often happens in celebrity pastor circles yeah. where they eventually are only surrounded by yes men. And uh, when we don't actually have – when we don't allow ourselves to have hard conversations or invite people to have those awkward, messy, hey, I know that you have these parameters, but you're still really screwing up, yeah. um, that is kind of like – the sunlight into our garden, but that that temptation just to close it all off from everything yeah. that no one can weigh in on it because my parameters are king can lead, I think, to some really dangerous places. That's good. And I was just thinking this, that a lot of times we put boundaries around like the big obvious sins. Like I'm going to, like you said, I'm going right. to have covenant eyes so I don't look at porn or whatever, you know? Right. But what, what here's a boundary that, you know what a boundary Jesus had? Jesus had a boundary where he said, I need to get away and be by myself. And I need to have that space. Totally. And that's one thing. Those are things we don't do often. Like the boundary of not overworking might be a good one. So that's right. The work of the Holy Spirit and open and honest conversations in your life are the best way to eradicate sin. We're glad you're joining us on this Friday. For Ian Simpkins, I'm Brian Fromm. This is The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm alongside Ian Simpkins. You can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show or online at 1160hope.com. There you can find old shows uh, and catch up on stuff you've not heard before. You can also podcast us wherever it is you find your podcasts. And we love it when you text us, 68683. That's 68683. Type in CG followed by your comment, your question. Uh, or whatever else it might be. It's Friday, man. Last hour. You got any, any big plans for the weekend? What, what do you think, Brian? I, one of these times I'm hoping you're going to be like, yes, I do. <laughs> I actually do. Uh, so tonight. You um, got so excited looking. <laughs> I did. I do, I, I like, do, I do. I like pull open my calendar. I was like, everyone, in fact, could I make a quick plug? Yes. Uh, tonight uh, at Blackberry Market in Glen Ellen, oh, we're having yes. uh, our Beer and Hymns event. And this is, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's, uh, I'll be playing some music with some friends. It's this really really kind of ragtag group and we're going to sing old hymns and uh and we're going to you don't have to drink beer to enjoy it it's so fun though because it's people from their 20s all the way to their 80s yep. just singing and celebrating so that's that's starting at uh at 7:30 at Blackberry Market in Glen Ellen so that's um that's Friday 
And then uh, Sunday, one of my one of my dear friends is getting married, so we uh, we got a wedding that afternoon. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, so I'm really looking forward to it. The beers and hymns—is that something you help start, or you just go to? Yeah, so a buddy of mine went to a festival called Wild Goose Festival, um, and that's uh, on the East Coast. And they encourage people to start these chapters. So there's there's in fact beer and hymns chapters all over the country really? that look. Uh, very different from each other. It's a very kind of organic. So we've been doing this for a few years in Glen Ellen, and there was just this groundswell, man. It was super surprising. I remember hearing about it. Yeah, we did. And we didn't even know each other then. We just said, hey, let's try it at this place. And then 180 people showed up. And we're like, huh, maybe there's something to this. And we're finding that it hits people for different reasons. So people in their 80s, like, man, these are a lot of these songs are songs from my childhood. And for people in their 20s, it's like connecting them to something that feels kind of like ancient oh. to them. It feels a little more. So there's this. I don't know. It's a really beautiful kind of ragtag group of people. And that's really uh, cool. Can't yeah. If you if you can make it, can't encourage you enough. Blackberry Market in Glen Ellen. It's gonna be a lot of fun. And for people in their thirties, there's like beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. And that's the thing. You do not. It does not. You don't have I to drink beer. The to, Blackberry Market. It's so much fun. I love the Blackberry Market. So well, that's cool, man. I, you have more plans than I do. So get out. I've been telling you that. Uh, we are starting some of the travel baseball and soccer stuff, and it starts this weekend. My life starts to get owned. So, but That's I love true. that. I love to watch my kids play sports. It'll oh, be, I can't wait, man! I can't wait for it'll that. It'll be a lot of fun. So it'll be fun. It's a good weekend. Um, in the first hour, uh, early on in segment uh, in the first hour of today, we talked about Bill Gates and happiness, and saw just a fascinating article where he gave four things, four reasons that he says he's happier now than he's ever been, and they all sounded like gospel, even mm. though he's not, as far as we know, a believer. Mm. And none of them had to do with the accumulation of stuff and the amount of money he has. So keeping that theme going, I uh, came across this article titled this, Want to be happier and less stressed? Yes. Please. <laughs> please. I'll take one of them, please. <laughs> uh, and then it says this, build a third space into your day. Huh. And this whole concept written by Jessica Stillman, and there is some um, uh, there is some scientific study that says there is an importance to a transition between the stress of work and then going home. And that people who build in this transition or what she's referring to here as a third space, hmm. uh, th- those transitions from like the craziness of work to like the craziness of home or like these, they become less stressful. And so uh, she begins to talk a little bit. Uh, about these third spaces. She says, you don't need to spend a lot of time there and it need not even be a literal space, but you need to add simple ritual to switch gears between the different phases of your day. For some people that might be, she says a trip to the gym or walking your dog before interacting with your family or roommates. But for others, it might be nothing more than a quiet cup of tea yet others. It might opt for meditation, banging on a drum kit or listening to particular podcasts on the ride home. Like the common good. There you go. The details don't matter, but being intentional about building transitions into your day does. And I gotta be honest, I've never heard this before. Well, okay. So the week that you were gone, uh, my brilliant friend, Rachel Shannon was talking about, um, this particularly in the area of clothing. She suggested don't wear the same clothes that you wear at work at home, that there really is like a mental switch to switch to changing what it is that you're wearing at work from when you're at home, which sort of lends itself to this idea. Cause the, it says elsewhere that the third space is just a space where you think about how will I show up when I walk through the door yes. at home? How you show up determines what sort of evening that you have and how you transition home determines how you unwind, relax and socialize or obsess and worry about the day. And I've absolutely found that to be true. It's 100% when, I, true. when I walk through the door and I'm already I'm already fired up about something or I'm grumbling or I'm you know, I, I had a, a phone call on the way home that just got me angry or whatever it is. As, man, as embarrassed as I am to admit it, that definitely carries through into my yes. how present or not present I am 
with my family and I don't want to I don't want to live like that. I want to I want to savor all these moments even though we got two young ones and the youngest is crying all day long and we're tired and like I think that third space the intentionality of that third space is actually really really wise. Yeah, I remember I think it was Matt Chandler pastor he said that when he would go home uh when he goes home every day he stop he pulls in uh, and he doesn't get out of his car yet. He he takes a minute to pray. Hmm. God, uh, whatever craziness I'm about to walk into, help me be fully present. Uh, help me love my kids. Uh, help me I'm writing that down wife. right now. That's it's, so good. I remember hearing that being like, wow, that's really good. He also talks about how he does the same thing. He builds a buffer between every meeting and says that little prayer before any meeting. Help me be present. Help me give me wisdom. Just I don't do that either. Organize. Oh, I know, no. That's great. Really good speakers make you feel bad about yourself. But <laughs> I, I love that one about like just that prayer to going home. I also knew a guy at my old church. He uh, he was a uh, is a psychologist, I think, and he dealt with some really really dark stuff, some really hard counseling stuff. And he said he had a thing where he would pull to the side of the road on his way home and pr- like physically go through the motions of like taking a weight off of himself and throwing mm. it out the window as a way of saying like, I'm, I'm now getting rid of work stress wow. and now going on. So some real practical steps of how to create that barrier, I think are helpful. Well, and you, you know that I'm, I'm always into this brain science stuff. I'm a real dweeb. It's one, one study by the American psychological association found that the two most common stressors among those surveyed were work and money. Not a surprise there. Yep. And the incidence of stress often results in irritability, anger, nervousness, and anxiousness, all behaviors that can cause tension when brought home after work. So it's this idea of like all of that spilling over into this space that, you know, anybody, anybody who's lived with other people for more than 12 seconds knows that it's not always serene. Yep. It's not, it's not like a yoga studio. My, my house is particularly chaotic right now, but how many times I'm even thinking through the last month. I've let the stress of work yes. spill over into my home environment in a way that like really wasn't helpful. And I think this is a really challenging article. To continue being challenged, the author says, one final point is worth noting. Cutting the connection between work stress and home life is an essential first step. Kind of what you were saying. Yeah. But you could have the most thoughtful third space in the world, and it won't do you any good if, as soon as you get home, you immediately pull out your phone and start Gosh, getting stressed darn out it. about work again. That's why it's a good idea to combine having a third space with this simple trick for limiting how much your, our screens impact our home life. Basically saying you've got if, – if you're not going to disconnect from work, then all these strategies do not matter. And that uh, that one kills me. My wife the other day told me, she goes, it's really bothering me how much you're on your phone. And I was uh. like, what? No. <laughs> Did you say something? Can you text that to me? And, you uh, text that to you me? Know, our wives are often great mirrors for us. And just, you know, basically that author speaking truth. If you can't cut the cord from work to home, then it's a third space, fourth space, whatever space, doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, and that, I do appreciate that the wisdom there is it, the issue isn't the third space. It's our inability to disconnect. Yep. Which to me sounds a little bit like Sabbath rhythms, right? Something that we've we've seen in scripture. Yes. We now have like brain science to back it, but there's these ancient rhythms that we've always been called to that for whatever reason are are either hard to believe or hard to implement or both. And I, I yes. think, man, what a what a challenge. Not just like, oh, it's good for your brain science. It's like, no, it's how you were wired to yeah. live. This constantly connected, constantly on, constantly dialed in thing is not at all like the ontology of how we were built to live. Correct. It is interesting between the Gates article and this article, none of which are from quote unquote Christian publications. Right. How much biblical truth is in them? Totally. All truth is God's truth, right? Like that's what we live by. And to see, wow, what 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 the Bible tells us is true is actually fleshing out even in people who aren't Christ followers is fascinating to me. 
Well, coming up next, we're going to ask this question. Roger Olson wrote an article asking, what is a Christian theology in a post-theological church world? Are we in a post-theological church world, and what is the dangers of that? That is what we're going to talk about next on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. You can text us at 68683. That's 68683. Uh, and Ian, we've got a great promotion coming up uh, through Focus on the Family. And if you know that music at all, you know it as The Adventure and Odyssey. And uh, we are excited to be joined by Dave Arnold and Phil Lawler. So, guys, thanks for joining us today. Our pleasure. Glad to be here. Yeah, thank you. Yep. Uh, so let me give both of your bios a little bit so people know who you are. Dave is the executive producer for both the Focus on the Family Radio Theater and Adventures in Odyssey series. He has worked professionally for over 20 years as a writer, director, sound designer, producer, and then all sorts of other stuff. Phil, he started his performing career at the age of five and has won numerous acting awards. Um, and he's worked with Focus on the Family, co-creating the award-winning dramatic series Adventures in Odyssey. And as a reminder, Focus on the Family with Jim Daly can be heard every weekday from 1130 to noon on AM and I, 1160. Go ahead. And I just want to say, too, that my, my professional career started at five as the executive producer, so I'm only 25. So. <laughs> <laughs> that was going to be my first question. Thanks for clarifying that. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Uh, one of the reasons we have you guys on is to talk about this great opportunity with Focus on the Family. Could you guys talk about uh, just a little bit of the promotion that's going on? Yeah, it's this uh, Odyssey VIP experience. And you know, occasionally we like to, to do some sort of contest just to to get the fans uh, uh, kind of excited and to for us to personally get excited to meet some fans because um, uh, the, the folks that uh, that win this experience We'll be flown out here to Colorado Springs, and we'll have a fun day together. Chris Anthony from the show will be here as well. Um, there's, you know, all kinds of tours of the building. We'll be uh, doing some recordings uh, of podcasts and stuff like that. We'll do behind-the-scenes tours, give them a peek into the glimpse of how we do what we do, and have some food together and awesome. cake together and go to Wits End and just have a blast. So. Really looking forward to having the folks here and hope everybody signs up for it. Yeah, no kidding. That sounds like a blast. All right, so there, you have a, a book, at least one coming out soon, right? And I, it's called Young Wade and the Shroud of Secrecy. I don't know if you're allowed to talk about a book with the word secrecy in the title, uh, but could you just tell us a little bit we more are, about we that? We have to kill you afterwards. Yeah, I get that a lot, actually. Uh, <laughs> yeah, tell us more uh, about that book, uh, yeah. Yes, book two in the uh, Young Wit series. We have uh, five books in the series uh, that we're that we're doing, and uh, book one has been out for a while. It's called Young Wit and the Trader's Treasure. And this uh, book two, uh, The Shroud of Secrecy, picks up where book one leaves off, and they're all about young John Avery Whitaker. Um, everybody knows everybody knows old wit, mm. but uh, not a lot of people know a whole lot about uh, young John Avery Whitaker. We've done a lot of, of uh, shows on the Odyssey program on on the, on the radio program. Uh, about young wit when he was a kid but uh, we decided we wanted to do a whole series of books about him and just talk about his past talk about how he became uh, what what influenced him in his past and what what happened to him to make him the man that we all know and love and this is uh this is a series that really delves into a lot of that talks about him the adventures that he has you know when we talk about adventure 
Good Grief Adventures and Odyssey. These are adventures of young wit. He's he's all over the place doing a whole bunch of really interesting, amazing things. They're they're just a lot of fun. They're rollicking reads, and they also talk about the the deeper issues of salvation and uh, and how we are supposed to live as Christians. Yeah, I wanted to go with that. I've got kids in that age range. It says the stories are aimed at nine to twelve year olds, and a lot of times, you know. As a dad with kids that age, we're just teaching at them and speaking at them. How do you guys, as as the authors of these books and the creators uh, of various things, uh, how do these books work well to reach kids of that age to help them understand these, like you said, deeper issues that maybe just telling them about it doesn't work at that age? Well, I, I personally think that uh, one of the one of the things we tried to do, and I think this works really well, and we, in fact, we we've heard from fans who have told us this exact thing, which is. They they identify with the characters because they seem so real to them. Mm. In fact, many people will say, "Boy, I just wish Johnny Ray Whitaker was my grandpa, my grandpa, or I wish I could, you know, go to lunch with Connie Kendall or Eugene Meltzer or Wooten Bassett or whoever," because the characters are so dear to them and have become so real to them that they identify with them. They think of them as family, and um, and so when you start identifying with somebody. And then you see the journey that they're going through. If they're going, if you're, if you're going through a very similar journey to them, then you sort of uh, vicariously take on the, their position. And so when they come to that crisis of faith, I mean, for example, when in the audio show, when Eugene becomes a Christian, I had a wonderful uh, letter come from not a kid. Well, I mean, we got several from kids, but we also got some from adults. And one was a truck driver who had been driving down the road, and he said, he he landed on Adventures in Odyssey like six months before and had instantly identified with the character of, of Eugene Melster. And he said that all of Eugene's hesitations about the faith were his hesitations. And when the show came on, uh, the time has come where Eugene goes through this crisis and has to make uh, a, a yes or no decision about faith and does make a decision to uh, become a believer in that show. The guy said, I pulled over the side of the road and in tears said, I knew I had to make the same decision Wow! because uh, I, I couldn't, I couldn't disagree with his decision. It's my decision too. Wow. And that's our hope with all of these stories. And in, in, in these books in particular too, is as Phil said, in these first two, the, the, the first book that we've already had out at the release in September. Now this book, that's just releasing now. Uh, Johnny Rewitaker is not yet a Christian in these first two books, but we're setting the stage and, and uh, showing the the journey of faith for mm. him. We felt it was really important for us to do that. We didn't want to start after he'd already become a Christian because we would have lost a wonderful opportunity to explain how this character comes to faith, hoping, again, against hope, that there will be those out there who will read this uh, epic, sort of fun, engaging story, but also see Johnny's uh, concerns and join him in this decision to become a believer. I think that's that's kind of the hope and prayer that we have for these books mm, too. That's that's really smart. That's what I, uh, you were talking, yeah, you were talking about the, the specific age range for these books, right? And uh, it's 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 a very it's it's always uh, interesting to me to to write for young kids, but. Uh, one of the things that we do, yes, our target audience is uh, nine to twelve year olds, and uh, we we've never made any kind of a different difference uh, secret about that. But by the same token, um, everything we do on Odyssey 
the radio show and these books, as well as a lot of other, all the you know, all the other materials we have, they're really for the whole family. Um, I was very very gratified the other day to get uh, an email uh, from a fan um, of the series, and he had just gotten the first book in the Young Wit series, and he is he is a college student, and he said uh, he said the, the email literally he started out it was actually an instant message we went back and forth. He was a fan and had my my address, and he said uh, the first thing he said was literally wow. And I was <laughs> like okay wow what. <laughs> And he said, I, I just finished the first Young Wit book, and I had no idea that they were so epic. <laughs> I went, oh, wow, I hadn't thought about it as being epic. <laughs> <laughs> this is just covering so much stuff, and, and it's just so big. And, 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 and it, it, you know, I thought it was going to be, you know, this kind of read for kids kind of thing. Um, but I would get it anyway because I was a fan. But when I picked it up and I started reading it, it just I was just absorbed in all the characters and everything. And it just it became so real and so vivid and so big, so broad, so epic. And and I said, well, that's great. Thank you. Mm, that's great. <laughs> it was a really nice thing for them to say. But but I, I also I, I teach at Azusa Pacific University out here in California. That's where I live. And, uh, and I can't tell you how many college students I have who are really big fans of the show. And still listen to it all the time. They grew up with it, and they still listen to it because wow. the the people, as Dave was saying, the characters in the show have become real to them. Yeah, they're their friends. And and when they go through hard times, and we put the, you know put the characters through their ringer in, in the show, they're going through the ringers in their right. own lives, and they identify with it, and they see, wow, how how did Connie handle that? How did Eugene handle that? What did Jason do here? How did Wit do this stuff? What what was the advice, the the wisdom that Wit came up with, and how did he help? How did he help them out with this? And uh, and so what we want, really wanted to do with these books was to show how how Johnny Whitaker, you know, young young Wit became the the guy who can give that kind of advice and the kind the kind of guy who is the strong Christian man that we can. Like Dave was saying, it's great to see him when he wasn't a Christian. Yeah. How did that happen? How did this how did this kind of iconic Christian character become that way before he was ever a Christian? Oh, that's awesome. I, I'm excited for kids to be, like I said, as a parent of that age, uh, of kids that age especially, uh, you're constantly looking for ways to help them understand these types of things, and I'm, I'm grateful that you guys have done that. Let me give the, the information about the campaign again, because it's so good. As part of the book campaign, uh, our listeners can win a free trip to Colorado Springs to meet and have lunch with the Adventures in Odyssey characters, take a VIP tour of Wits End and Focus on the Family, uh, taste a famous uh, Wad Fam Chalk Sod Milkshake. We might have to have you on again just to talk about that. Or to bring us some. <laughs> <laughs> and get copies of the new books. All you need to do, if you go to 1160hope.com, that's 1160hope.com, you are going to see a big picture of Adventures in Odyssey where it just says, enter for your chance to win. And the grand prize is an all-expense-paid trip to Colorado Springs in June. Uh, including everything we talked about. And everyone who enters will be able to download activity sheets called Wooten's Wacky Word Games, which are valued at $5. So just by going there, you're getting something valued $5. So uh, Dave and Phil, we really are grateful. We hope this goes well, and uh, we look forward to picking up the book. Thanks for joining us today. You are very welcome. Thanks for having us, guys. Thank you, guys. Our pleasure. Thanks, Thanks, gents. <laughs> and also a reminder focus on the family with jim daly can be heard every weekday from eleven thirty to noon right here on am 1160 well you're listening to the common good on am 1160 hope for your life welcome back to the common good on am 1160 alongside ian simpkins my name is brian Fromm. 
Uh, you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, or you can text us at 68683. Put CG in the comment, and then whatever it is you would like to share with us. Ian, one of the things we've enjoyed about this uh, show is a chance to talk to some friends of ours and That's to right. bring on people that we know. Uh, I think you have more friends than me, so we tend to be bringing in <laughs> uh, more of your friends. But uh, I don't think that's true. But we are excited right now to talk to a friend of yours by the name of Nate Baker Lutz. So, Nate, thanks for joining us today. I'm happy to talk to you both. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Brian's a words of affirmation guy, so yes. I appreciate you including him in that. <laughs> Let me give a little bio. Nate uh, launched Beer and Hymns in Chicago in April of 2016 with his friend Josh. Uh, joining a cohort of chapters from all over the country. So you can find out more at beerandhimchicago.com or at beerandhimchicago on Twitter. Uh, also, the reason we're talking about this right now is because the next one's uh, going on tomorrow, on Friday. Nope. Or no, today. Today. Today's, Today's Friday. Friday. Sorry. <laughs> Good. I get tomorrow off. <laughs> uh, it's happening on Friday from 7.30 to 9.30 at the Blackberry Market in Glen Ellen. I used to work across the street from there. The Blackberry Market is worth going there just for the Blackberry yeah, Market. Totally. But adding beer and him. So, uh, so, Nate, I'll ask you right off the top, just what exactly is beer and hymns? Yeah, we like to think of it as sort of part Pentecost, part Hootenanny. It's really your classic hymn sing. Uh, We get a live band of local musicians, and we get out the hymnals, and we sing all your favorite hymns. We just do it a little recontextualized, so we play things a little faster or a little louder, and should you choose, there's a frosty beverage involved, but... Uh, the real goal for us is to to get back in touch with some of these songs of our face and uh, maybe give people a new chance to experience them, uh, depending on their memories of growing up in yeah. the church, sometimes putting these great songs uh, that really shaped our faith in a new context is really helpful for people. So, so Nate, I was there for that very first one that we did, and uh, I'd love to just hear from you. What what has surprised you over the last few years uh, about Beer and Hymns, about Beer and Hymns Chicago specifically? Like, uh, would you ever anticipated it would become what it is now? What caught you off guard? What could you have not seen seen coming? I'm just curious to hear a little bit more of like your specific journey with Beer and Hymns Chicago over the last few years. Yeah, I think my uh, two surprises. One is how. Um, Diverse things have been both in denomination. Um, on our first night four years ago, we'll be celebrating our fourth birthday tonight. Um, we had about 90 people, and an informal survey suggested we had about 10 denominations from 40 to 45 different churches. Wow. Which means we had a really, you know, through a really wide net as to who decided to show up and sing with us mm-hmm. that night. And there was also a really remarkable age range as we've gone along the last couple of years. Uh, we're kind of 21 to 81. We've had wow. people email us asking us to bring our band to their old folks' home to lead hymn sings. Right. And we've had people we've had people ask us to do their wedding receptions. You know, wow. Young couples <laughs> who are getting married. So I think those have been the biggest surprises is how uh, the age range and also the varying backgrounds of faith, not even just denominations, but also current engagement. Uh, we've had people who have come who are, you know, Tuesday night Bible study. Sunday morning and Sunday night service, and we've also had people come up for me. They haven't been to church in a few years, wow. uh, but getting to see me sing these hymns again in a new way uh, is starting to reshape some memories they might have had, and maybe they'll give it another shot. So that's yeah. probably the most surprising to me. Oh, that's awesome. So 
playing into the stereotypes that we know aren't true, but you know, most people would think, oh, you're pulling out the hymnals, the old hymnals, it's all going to be older people. Um, but we know that's not true. So what do you find is the draw to this uh, for people, like you said, in their 20s? What is What are they going back for? What are, what are they looking for? Well, I think uh, short of something fun to do for free on a Friday. <laughs> it's true. true. Uh, I, I think uh, a lot of them are looking for a deeper engagement with their worship. I mm. think the spirit really moves when we sing, and I think part of that comes from the richness that these songs have that maybe some people find lacking in today's contemporary worship service. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to name names, but I think <laughs> some people feel like the metaphors are maybe getting a little mixed or a little weak, and mm. some of these songs just have a firmer foundation in, in something that that is moving them. Or they have been doing the contemporary service on Sunday mornings and going to the concerts and they want to sing something new or they want to hear something new. And this is new to them. And not only that, we're doing it in their neighborhood. We're doing it uh, for free and we're kind of welcoming all people. And I think that's, I think that's a big draw too. So I'm curious then, what's been some of the pushback that you've gotten? I know just even from following the Facebook account, there are people that would say, Oh gosh, him singing and beer drinking is completely incompatible. And I'm sure people that maybe even come after you like what's been some of the pushback that you've gotten and how, how have you sort of navigated that that's definitely the number one thing we hear is that people just don't love the idea of, of combining these two things and mm. i totally get that um this isn't we always say that uh, drinking is optional but singing is not <laughs> I like that. and so if you want to come and have water if you want to come and have coffee that's great the 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 beer part is more kind of out of the roots of where it started um, when we first heard about it than it is about some sort of uh, deeper thing. I think it helps that recontextualizing that I've already talked about where, you know, you, you, you get to do something different that you've done before in kind of a weird way. It sort of gives you a, a new sense of how these things work. And I think it, it changes the environment too. Instead of getting the, you know, the shirts on thin on Sunday morning, you're getting the t-shirt and jeans and the, more of the pub atmosphere. And I think it really changes the way people engage with those songs. So I think that's where the beer helps, but it's totally optional. And there are, there are some chapters they'll, um, they'll hang a uh, yellow balloon. Um, and, um, for the, the people who are, who are sober, who are struggling with uh, mm. alcohol abuse. And so there will be a special corner for them. So everyone kind of takes it a little differently. And uh, I think that that's, it's it, it's definitely the most thing the thing we get pushed back on the yeah, most. Yeah. But uh, the other thing people have said to us too is they're a little worried that we're replacing church. They're kind of worried that people who maybe aren't attending church on a regular basis will find uh, this as sort of a replacement. And that's never been our goal. We've always just wanted to create a safe space for people to reengage with this one particular thing. Yeah. And like I said before, we've had people who instead of kind of replacing church, have actually found a new fire for church uh, at our events. And I think that's, that's another great thing that happens. So um, yeah, always little challenges, but I think those are the two things. Cool. This beer and hymns event is taking place tonight from seven thirty to nine thirty at the Blackberry market in Glen Ellen, right there on main street, Glen Ellen. Could you paint a little more of a picture of what people, people might now right now might be a little intrigued. Like, yeah, I might come. Is it like two hours of singing? Is it more <laughs> kind of hang out? Uh, if maybe paint a little picture for people of what they will get if they show up at seven thirty. 
absolutely. So the doors open at 7.30. Blackberry kind of shuts down their normal service and reopens for us. So that's when you can get in line, grab a beer, start meeting friends and, and saying hello to everyone. The band starts around 8. We sing for about an hour with a break in the middle, and then we go our separate ways. It's, it's a real casual time. It's, it's sort of a think of a local concert sing-along. We kind of stand mm. in a big group, and we have a very small PA system, which is very intentional. We don't have a stage. We don't have a full band. And uh, we just sing with each other. We sing loud. We sing quiet. We play fast. We play slow. Uh, and then hopefully you, you meet some new people and maybe you continue hanging out with them or you see them the next time you come. And uh, we just have a good time. It's a lot of smiles, a lot of laughs. Uh, we don't take ourselves too seriously, um, but we we certainly feel things move in that room every time we do it. So I have heard that your drummer's a little lacking, though. <laughs> <laughs> he's not wrong. He's not, he's not wrong. Well, we don't. We are always looking for new musicians. <laughs> Anyone out there wants to join us. Wow, I was so glad to brought you on the show to replace me that quickly. My goodness. <laughs> yes, if you're out there listening and you'd like to meet Ian, he will be uh, behind the drum set there at the Beer and Him. So. It's not even a set. It's just a snare drum. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, Nate, this sounds like a fascinating uh, event. I'm really excited uh, that you guys are doing it again. It's Beer and Hymns going on tonight from 730 till 930. It's a free event. Uh, and it is exactly what it sounds like. Come and sing hymns, uh, have a beer, have a soda, have whatever. Uh, that is at the Blackberry Market right there in downtown Glen Ellen. You can find more information at beerandhymnschicago.com. That's beerandhymnschicago.com. Or at beerandhymnschicago on Twitter. You can find all of that. Nate Baker-Lutz, thank you so much for joining us today. Hope this goes well. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks. We'll see you all tonight. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Again, it sounds like fun. You're a big part of this, so uh, I look forward to hearing how it goes. It sounds like a really cool event. It's always a good time, man. I love it. We're excited that you're joining us today. This is The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Man, it's the last segment on a Friday. Here we go. On a Friday. <laughs> Weekend is here. You make it sound like this job is so physically taxing. It like is. We're sitting in chairs so, talking into microphones. Practically a farmer. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <sighs> uh, what's our disclaimer? We have never seen what we're about to read for you. So Not our once. producers chose these. And we are going to do them, and you are going to go first today. Go I ahead. am going to go first. Yes. If you want to find us, you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com. Just want to make sure people are aware. I'm stalling because I'm really scared about, <laughs> about these particular stories. I'm flipping it over, and here we go. Out of Florida, obviously, blue-green meteor streaks across night sky in Florida. Oh, that's cool. Oh, yeah. An unusual bright meteor created a blue-green streak in the night sky over Florida where it was caught on video from multiple locations. We're going to play that video now. Just kidding. It's radio. The National (laughs) Weather Service in Tallahassee confirmed the fireball spotted over Florida on Saturday night was a meteor that had been recorded by its satellite system just before midnight. That's actually super, super fascinating. Dan, we didn't see this thing coming. Well, our object collision budget's a million dollars. That allows us to track about 3% of the sky. And begging your pardon, sir, but it's a big sky. <laughs> oh, was it Billy Bob Thornton? I was in Florida on uh, Saturday. You were. That's I right. did not see this. Get it together, Brian. Mississippi. A speeder arrested after posting YouTube live stream as he drives over 185 oh, miles per on. hour. That's a Mississippi not... man was arrested on Monday for posting a YouTube live video as he apparently drove over 185 miles per hour on a highway. 
in the video from the day before, which is still active, <laughs> this guy accelerates his 2017 Ford Mustang as he calls out speeds. After slowing down, he is seen being pulled over by three police cars that were responding to reports of the dangerous stunt. No kidding. One of the deputies then approaches the car and asks him why he was driving so fast, to which he replies, I haven't been driving fast. When the officers notice he's still feeding live video, he tells them, I get paid to be on YouTube. I video every day of my life. (laughs) After checking his license for a few (laughs) minutes, the officers (laughs) let him go and tell him to park the car and take it uh, off-road. That little... Let him go, Lou. Someone going that fast has no time for a ticket. That little laugh there was because the uh, response had a swear word in it. And because we haven't read these yet, Brian didn't see it. I almost. We've made it a habit of calling each other out on this. You skip the guy's name, Brian. If you could just read his name for me. There it is right there. If you could just read his name for everybody. Uh, Bo Allen Rogel. See, that wasn't that hard. Boom. (laughs) Boom. Boom. All right, here we go. Another California pet pig named Princess. Oh, Uh, gosh. No. I don't want to do this one. Do it. Pet pig named Princess <laughs> slaughtered by neighbor while police searched for owners. Keith. Ah, Keith. A near 400-pound pet pig named Princess, say that 10 times fast, that wandered out of her pen, was slaughtered by a neighbor while North Northern California police looked for the animal's owner, according to local reports. Princess went missing from her home in Humboldt uh, County on March 23rd. She was later found nearby in someone's yard. There's photos. I don't want to read any more of the so story. Dark. This is so dark. My goodness. Oh, pig. <laughs> I feel like he did himself on that one. Yeah, no kidding. I feel feel sad inside. Oh, Keith, where are we at here? Iowa McDonald's employees stabbed over item missing (sighs) from drive-thru order. (laughs) We need to talk about these. If you guys see Keith Conrad anywhere, (laughs) say a quick prayer. Police in Iowa confirmed Wednesday that two customers stabbed a McDonald's employee over an item missing from their drive-thru order. Sure. It occurred in Des Moines near I-235 at around 8 p.m. Uh, according to the police officer, the customers went inside to complain about the missing item and the situation escalated. The 19-year-old employee refunded the customer's money, but the police said the refund did not stop the customers from being violent. Oh, the boy. customers had their food and their money, and they still came back and stabbed him. Oh, he is okay, God. and they are under arrest. Ah! I'm insane with anger! I hope it was over more than like just like a hash brown or like. Would that somehow make it better in your mind, Brian? Hey, as long as it's a as long as it's a Big Mac, then I, I, you justify a stabbing. Okay, I think this is our last one. North Carolina man faces animal. Cru- <sighs> Golly, these are all so dark. Man faces animal cruelty charge after he allegedly abandoned a pet fish. That's kind of uh, funny. Okay. <laughs> a New Hanover County, South Carolina man faces animal cruelty charges after he allegedly abandoned a pet fish after he was evicted from his home last month. Michael Ray Hinston, 53, was charged Wednesday with three counts of misdemeanor cruelty to animals and one count of abandonment of an animal. He was released on a $4,000 unsecured bond. The new Hanover County Sheriff's Office said Hinston was evicted on March 22nd. And when deputies went to the home a few days later, they found that he had left behind an Oscar fish that was in poor health and swimming in a dirty tank. You're going to need a bigger boat. I don't know. That seems crazy. It's a fish. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, unattended fish is just a fish, isn't it? I don't. I mean, he got kicked out of his apartment or whatever. He got evicted. What's he supposed to do? Carry the fish around? Oh, Brian Fromm is supporting animal cruelty. That's what I'm hearing. So when my daughter was one, I bought the wrong food for the goldfish we bought her, and it died within a week. 
That's a super sad note to end on, man. And Thanks for we- that. <laughs> See you guys at Beer and Hems tonight, 730. <laughs> could have been a stabbing in McDonald's or something. Uh, as he had said, like we talked about earlier, 730 to 930, Beer and Hymns at the Blackberry Market. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Have a great weekend. This is The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.